Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. When the sun goes down, you're usually tired. When the sun goes up, you're usually awake. And that's what guides life. Jeff Legend Garmeyer. We get to the toaster house at 2.30 a.m. And that's like when things got really weird. And it was like, first of all, the toaster house is literally a house decorated entirely in toasters. There's like not an inch of wall that's showing. It's just toasters on, on all of the walls of this house. And uh, we knock on the door and this guy named Jefferson, who's like, you know, this Einstein lookalike, white frizzy hair, greets us like it's the middle of the day. Um, and he shows us upstairs, we sleep the night. And then in the morning, uh, this, this, uh, the owner of the hostel comes up and she's this, you know, older woman. She has this like case with her. And I sit down next to her and she's like, uh, this is my this is my basket of herbs, and we're gonna fix your hand without you having to go to the hospital. So she's just like, you know, at, at that point, I'm like, should I take medical advice from someone who lives in a house that's decorated in toasters and in a town called Pie Town? Um, but when I was, you know, weighing 150 mile drive versus, you know, these herbs, I ended up choosing the herbs. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with the obligatory reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest who I am very excited to talk to. This week, we are going to be talking to the youngest ever calendar triple crowners. For our listeners who may not be familiar with the term, a triple crowner is someone who has hiked all three of America's long trails, the PCT, 
the CDT, and the AT. And a calendar triple crowner is someone who does all three trails in the same calendar year, which is quite an accomplishment. It's a very limited group. I think fewer people have done the calendar triple crown than have been in space. There's probably even a better example out there somewhere, um, but uh, it is a rare, rare feat. So welcome to the John Freaking Mirpod, Sammy Potter and Jackson Perel. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having us. It's going well. Okay. Yeah, we're, uh, we're both super stoked to be here. And um, yeah, we, I was listening to uh, one of your one of your past episodes with IB Tat, um, someone, someone we met on trail. And um, yeah, super, super, super glad to be here. It's interesting you say that because I talked to somebody else recently who came across IB Tat on the trail. And it's just kind of, it's mind boggling that, you know, those trails are long. These are, these are long yeah. trails. They are spread out. And the fact that you could run into someone who's already been on the podcast before, uh, it seems like, uh, you know, what are the chances? Well, the craziest part was that uh, we actually ran into him on our second day on trail. And then we ran into him again seven months later on the CDT because he was hiking the CDT at that point. Uh, he was working at, what was the name of that, uh, that place uh, that, we saw him like the first time. I think time it's around. a mountain crossings. It's like the it's the first uh, gap. It's Neil's Gap on, in Georgia on the AT. It's like the really famous place where you see the tree with all the um, shoes of people who you know like gave up very early on their on their AT hikes. Yeah, and I have talked to him since. We've exchanged some messages since he completed his his, uh, his CDT hike and completed his triple crown, not, not a calendar triple crown, but, but that was his triple crown trail, the final one. And he's agreed to come back on and, and give us the blow by blow of, of that trail, that hike. So looking forward to talking to him about that. And I'll have to mention that you came on and, and see what his impressions are of you guys. <laughs> uh, we, we, we both look up to him a lot. He's, he's an absolute legend. So absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Now on the podcast here, we go strictly by trail names. So you're no longer Jackson and Sammy. I need to, I need to find out what your trail names. I, have, I imagine that you guys have picked up trail names after being on the trail that long. And we need to hear the story behind picking up those trail names. So who wants to go first? Sure. Yeah. Um, so Woody, um, I think it makes sense if we all introduce both of our names before we tell the story of how they came about. My name is so. Buzz, uh, Buzz Lightyear. And how we came up with these names was actually out of necessity more so than anything. Cause we started on January 1st and there was absolutely no one out there hiking the AT at the time. Um, we were alone for month. And finally one day we reached the shelter and we were like, all right, we just have to decide. And, uh, we'd been talking earlier about like, you know, brainstorming names and we wanted kind of to do like a duo of some sorts. So, um, Buzz and Woody came up. Do you remember any of the other duo names that we had? Um, Starsky and Hutch, I yeah, think was Butch, one. Butch Cassidy and the Kid. We kind of yeah. did like, because um, honestly, at this point, like we just hadn't run into anybody as as Woody mentions. And, uh, you know, like we might be a little creative, but we were just like kind of stumped, yeah. you know? Um, so we did like, I think we did like a poll on our social media where we were like, where we were like, <laughs> I think we said, um, you know, do you want to guess what our trail names are before we reveal them? But really it was like a way to, for us to gather ideas of like what they would be. <laughs> um, yeah, we had, um, watched Toy Story pretty recently and, and especially fans of like Randy Newman, the, um, guy who wrote all the music for those, those stories. And, um, 
and uh yeah we settled on settled on buzz and woody and then it was really just a matter of deciding like who was going to be who yeah and so um we we came to the shelter at the end of the day like one day two months in and um we like had this moment where we were like trying to figure out like which character we best fit each and of course it was the most ridiculous like logical battle ever you know and i think those are the the best arguments that you could have on trail but um we ended up, you know, we ended up just being like, all right, why don't we just say who we want on three? And it ended up being that I wanted Woody and he wanted Buzz. So. And what was the defining characteristic that made Jackson be Woody and Sammy be Buzz? I think we could talk for a couple of hours about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, we did. But, so. yeah, we did. Um, but to, to <laughs> hit like the bullet high, high points, one, I mean, one of us is very clearly like I'm a lot shorter than Jackson is. Um, and I and just that alone, I feel like, you know, um, is, is pretty defining. Um, and uh, I think it was more like the nature of like the relationship between them that that we focused on. When we were kind of deciding the names. It was just like, you know, two friends going on an adventure and their friendship becoming stronger because of it. And so that was kind of the crux of of why we just decided like Woody and Buzz, you know? And then it just so happened that we each wanted the ones that we did. Got it. And the, and the whole thing about take, asking people if you wanted to, if they wanted to guess what your names were before you revealed it to try and solicit uh, suggestions. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty, pretty smart. Uh, indicative of the fact that both of you uh, attend Stanford university. So uh, congratulations on that as well. I think most people, when they hear that after meeting us, are pretty are pretty surprised. Um, we, uh, yeah, we, we don't we don't really fit in with the um, with the heady heady uh, intelligent bunch at, at Stanford all the time. You I think yourself, Sammy. Yeah, maybe maybe you do. Now, are you guys? I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but I just have to ask the question: Are you guys athletes? Are you on scholarship at at Stanford, or did you go the traditional routes, uh, book smart? Uh, killed the ACT or the SATs and did all kinds of uh, volunteer work out there. Um, so neither of us are athletes. Okay. So you guys, you guys are smart. So don't, don't, don't be downplaying yourself there, Buzz. Um, we, you know, like I, I think we were both though, like marathon training together while we were on campus. Um, but we were definitely not good enough to be on like the cross country or track team or anything like that. So. Maybe. Yeah. I, I'm speaking for myself there. <laughs> now in your, your, the, the guesses that you receive from uh, your followers out there, anybody uh, list, maybe Sonny and Cher. Uh, I'd have to look back. I, I, that's actually a really good suggestion. <laughs> I wish someone had said that maybe we would have been Sonny. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember that, but uh, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so Buzz, you said that you you've listened to uh, at least one episode, the IBTAT episode. Woody, have you have you listened to any any of the episodes of the podcast? Okay, so this is your first time. The only reason I ask is because I want to make sure that you are familiar with a regular segment that appears on this show, and that is the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. And what that is is towards the end of the episode, I'll turn to each of you and I'll say, "Hey guys, uh, what bit of wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better?" And because you guys, you guys truly are pros. You, you've logged enough miles to be considered professionals out there now. So I don't know if you've gotten paid for it, but uh, you certainly have the experience. So don't be surprised when I, when I ask you that question towards the end of the episode. Sounds good. 
Okay. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, outdoor vitals. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, a a camping trip or marathon, uh, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So guys, uh, this is intriguing because you guys have done the triple crown. What is your must bring piece of gear? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the first one, I mean, there's, there's a lot like, you know, we, we very much, um, you know, nailed down our, our gear over a long period of time. The first one that comes to mind for me though, is, um, sock liners, uh, especially, uh, specifically Merino wool. Uh, I think their RIE, REI co-op was the ones that I was using most of the time, but, um, yeah, sock liners made like a massive difference for me, um, throughout the trek. I started out with them because so many people suggested it to me and didn't get a blister for like a really long time, which is pretty rare for starting a hike. And then immediately when I got lazy and like decided to get rid of my sock liners, um, that's when I started like getting blisters and, and uh, having foot problems. So um, yeah, sock liners. And then I, it's kind of cheating because it, 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 I guess it's two, but um, I would also like, I would also throw in um, like Vaseline in there. Um, just like anything that can decrease friction um, between you and your, your shoe while you're hiking. Um, I think for me is so important because obviously, you know, your foot if your feet are hurting you're gonna have a terrible day <laughs> that's interesting you, you vaseline your feet yeah okay i don't think i've heard of that before uh, that's, that's that, every morning okay very good how about you woody uh, i did not vaseline my feet but uh they got their fair share of abuse um because of it so <laughs> uh i you know let me let me preface this by saying we hiked uh, year round. So we hiked in the winter, fall, spring, and summer. And then also, you know, the type of hiking that we were doing is far different than like going on a camping trip, doing like a marathon or something like that. So, um, if you're doing a long distance through hike and if you're doing it in the winter, I would say that you absolutely need, um, OR, uh, Arctic gloves. Um, I think they're called Alti mittens is like the, the actual official name of them. And, um, there were just so many times that that absolutely saved my life. You know, we would get out of our zero degree sleeping bags and immediately my hands would be frozen. And so having those gloves to like take down our tent, to eat breakfast, you know, to when we were stopping and snacking uh, and also when we were walking and it was like sleeting and raining, um, they were just so, so essential to our trip. And, you know, I definitely, during the spring, summer, early fall, I didn't actually have to use them, but when they were needed, they were very needed. Okay. Hey, yeah. let's, let's okay, talk a little bit. Oh, sorry. Oh, I want to, I want to uh, re- retweet, if you will, what, what, what he said. Like, I think, uh, I think the sock liners, as I mentioned, are definitely like great for comfort, but like our, our, oh, our mittens like literally kept yeah. us from losing <laughs> our hands. Um, and like, if you're going to hike in the deep winter, um, that's, you know, we, we, it, things could have gone very badly for us at certain points. Yeah. Didn't have and then clothes. if I could tack on one more thing, cause I know that's not going to be applicable to like most people who are listening to this podcast. Um, I was doing some like calculations of just like overall costs of the trip. And, uh, I realized that one of the most costly items for us was our hiking poles because of how often they would break. Um, surprisingly. <laughs> and so I got these pair of hiking poles. I think they were the lucky adventure hiking poles. 
that literally lasted me, I think like 3000 miles. Whereas like my other ones were like maybe five, 600 before they literally, they just snapped in half. So, um, I would definitely suggest those for like people who are just going on a, a long distance through hike at a regular time of year. Okay. And what was the brand again? Lecky, L-E-K-I. L-E-K-I. Got it. Got it. Very good. And you, you bring up an interesting point, uh, cost of the trip. What does it cost to do the calendar triple crown? Um, that's a really good question. I think, um, you know, we still have a lot of uh, data to data to crunch to um, figure out exactly how much it cost us. Um, I think to, to be completely honest, I think we're probably going to like shy away from giving like an exact an exact figure um, just because like talking with reporters and stuff in the past, I think they have kind of exaggerated things and it hasn't really left us feeling super good. Um, but that said, um, you know, I think it's pretty similar to like three through hikes and similar to, uh, you know, just like other through hikes, um, you know, you can be as frugal um, as, uh, as can be, or, or you can stop in every town for like, uh, two days. Uh, one thing we learned was that, you know, town just eats up your, like the more time you spend in town, the more, more money you're going to, more money you're going to spend. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all as a means of saying, like, um, we just, we still got to do some calculations. I think, I think we were like slightly under budget for what we, what we tried to, um, what we tried to do. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I, I like to mention here is, um, you know, we're, we're college kids and I think people have the impression that, um, uh, you know, it's, like it's a very unique time for us to be able to do this, but we also like worked for a long time to save up money for this. Like when we decided we were going to do this, we pretty much devoted like all of our time to making enough, enough money to do it. Um, and, um, yeah, what do you got? Anything to, anything to no, add? That's it. Okay. So if you're being cagey there, you're not going to, you're not going to tell us the total, the total cost, total price. That's yeah, I, don't, okay. I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be cagey, but uh, as you know, uh, oftentimes members of the media will uh, not, not that you're a member of the media, but I, I think, yeah. Um, you, you know, there's plenty of research you can do out there to, um, uh, to, to figure out, you know, what, what it costs, but um, yeah, I guess we will be, I guess I am being a little cagey, but okay. I, whatever. That's okay. I love the challenge. I love to be able to, to tease out some information a little bit later on. I'll, yeah, I'll get yeah, it one yeah. way or another. So <laughs> got to make your job a little harder. That's right. That's right. Make it entertaining. So in terms of, uh, let's talk gear. Let's, let's talk gear a little bit here. Um, we always talk about, not always, but we have brought, brought this up uh, upon occasion that really there are three factors with gear. There's durability, you know, durability and quality. Uh, there's weight. And there's cost. And it's kind of like a uh, sliding scale. The lighter something is or the more durable it is, the longer it's going to last, the more it's going to cost. Uh, yeah. The cheaper it is, the heavier it is or the, or the, the, the less durable it is. And so uh, tell us how you uh, balanced those factors and what your, what your base weight was and um, kind of how your pack changed season to season or trail to trail. Yeah, I'll say right off the bat, like we weren't the most ultralight hikers uh, uh, that were out there. So we we kind of went for the gear that would let us do a long distance trip like this and still be comfortable. Um, you could have done it for, I think, as Sammy said, you could have done it. We could have done it with less weight. It just wouldn't have been as fun. And part of this was just to be out there and have a good time. So um, I'll say, you know, we started off with a lot of unnecessary gear. I think, you know, like when we first got out there, we had like, you know, um, uh, down pants and we had like, you know, extra layers that we didn't actually need. And, uh, like a whole bunch of, um, kind of like, you know, uh, like emergency supplies that we ended up just kind of scrapping later on. 
Um, we also mailed back our tent like right off the bat, uh, just because we realized we could go shelter to shelter on the AT rather than having to set up a tent at the end of every day. Um, and it was also helpful because, you know, midwinter, you don't have to clear any snow to put your tent down. That changed, of course, you know, when we were finishing this whole thing up when we were in Oregon and Washington, uh, just getting snowed on nonstop. But uh, yeah, to start out the hike, we were definitely hiking with a lot more weight. I think our base weight starting out was like 20 pounds. Um, I think we got it down to like 17 or 18 within a couple of days by shipping stuff back. And then as it got closer to summer, our, our base weight was dropping to more like 14, 15 pounds. Um, and, uh, that was just because like, you know, both of us could go from a zero degree sleeping bag to a quilt. Um, we got rid of a whole bunch of layers. Um, uh, we also were able to, uh, switch out our boots for, uh, uh, trail runners. Uh, do you have anything else to add? To um, me? yeah, I think, um, just if I remember correctly, our weight, cause we you weigh it when you start the AT at Amicaloa Falls State Park, I'm pretty sure we were around like 35 or 36, um, including like food and water. So not, not base weight, but total weight. Um, right. and you know, granted that was, in, I think that was including like a 12 ounce, 12 ounce course for, yeah. both, for both of us, but it was, you know, it was, um, it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty heavy to start. And, um, winter you know we going into this like with as little experience as as we had um you know we we were a little bit o not over cautious but i think rightfully cautious you know and bringing like a little bit of extra stuff and then the more comfortable you get you start to lose a little bit um it would have been even heavier um if we were alone i think one thing that's um super dope about having a partner is you can like split up you know group gear rather than carrying a stove and tent you know one of us would carry the stove one of us would carry the tent and we'd split like our first aid gear uh in two so you know i think that was a huge benefit especially in the winter of um of being together um other things of note i think like uh when we once we were out there for like six or seven months um you know we were pretty comfortable going with like very little gear you know we um really understood our limits for like how long we could go between water sources without um drinking and you know like sometimes push the limits a little bit but our, our base weight was really low as um as time went on and um and towards the end we actually uh so i broke i broke a uh, a stove in uh in june and uh that was kind of like you know encouragement to go stoveless and then i think like early, late august early september we just went completely stoveless and we didn't even like, we didn't even cold soap. <laughs> um, we just like ate dried foods, um, like, you know, uh, dried meats and uh, nuts and granola and, uh, you know, dried fruits. Like we, we didn't even cold soak anything. We just ate dried food for uh, two months, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing um, I think is worth mentioning is, um, we were, we were able to uh, get some like free gear from uh, two companies, LLB and Merrill, which was like super helpful for us just to have like, you know, our, our core gear um, taken care of from the beginning. Cause then like when it came to certain items, we could like splurge, like those gloves we were talking about are, mm -hmm. are like pretty expensive. Um, but we felt it was like totally worth it. And we had that freedom because we got some other gear for free. Um, yeah. I think that's, I think that covers most of our bases. Yeah. Okay. So uh, safe to say that when you started, you started January 1st. So it's obviously colder. It's winter. Uh, your packs are about 20 pounds. Uh, your base weight's about 20 pounds. As you get more experienced and it gets warmer, your base weight goes down to about four, 13, 14 pounds. And then when you are finishing up uh, in Oregon and, and Washington on the, on the PCT, 
does it climb back up again to, to 20, you think, or is it not as much because you you've learned to go without some stuff? I think it was still pretty low. Um, okay. I didn't actually, I don't know if we ever measured our, our base weight. Um, I, I'm speaking for myself here. I didn't measure my big base weight in the, in Oregon, Washington, just because I knew like what gear I needed and like, I was going to have that gear. So it wasn't like I was switching much out anymore. So, um, didn't really matter all that much. Yeah. No, no choices yeah, there, right? You're, you're well. bringing, you're bringing that gear. You need that gear. It doesn't matter if you weigh it or not, you're carrying it one way or the other. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Exactly. It's kind of like when people ask about like, you know, getting your base weight of your first aid kit down. It's like, it doesn't matter what your base weight, of your first aid kit is like, like you need what you need, what you need, you know? Yeah. And that was, um, that was something like, I think as the trip went on, we stressed less and less about just because like we realized that our bodies could like handle the amount of weight that we had on our, on our backs and we could do the mileage that we needed to do and we could do it comfortably. So once we reached that point, it was like, okay, like, we'll we'll just, uh, we'll keep what we have and, uh, and just make sure it keeps working. So. Okay. I think I've heard each of these, maybe most of these mentioned already in, in your discussion, but let's do a quick hiking poll. And, and if you had your preference, if you had your preference, uh, which would it be? We'll just do a real quick run through here. Boots or trail runners? Trail runners. Trail runners. Okay. Tent or tarp? Tent. Tent. Sleeping bag or quilt? What time of year? Is there a time? Is this just just generic? Okay. Just generic. <laughs> if you, if you, it, it, you, you pick the climate, which is your preference to sleep? under a quilt or in a sleeping bag? That's a hard question, man. I, I, I think like my zero degree sleeping bag was what I looked forward to every day. Like it was my light at the end of the tunnel. And so I think hiking in winter, I would say absolutely. Like I would not give that thing up for the world, but I loved my quilt during the summer. I thought it was great. So damn, man, I, if you're going to ask me to choose, I think it would be the sleeping bag just because of like how important it was to me when it was important. Yeah. I think, I think I, you can see what he's struggling over that. And the reason is like our, our zero degree sleeping bags were like literally a, you know, cocoon that we would descend into at the end of every like day in the winter, you know, and we'd be, we'd actually be comfortable for the only time that day. Um, I got to go sleeping bag as well. Cause I, I always look forward to getting to my sleeping bag. I don't know if I looked forward to getting to my quilt quilts. Um, during the summer that said i think i i just i didn't really have a great sleep system during the summer i broke my sleeping pad um in june and then i just i didn't get another sleeping pad until like late september so i was just like i was just sleeping in my 40 degree quilt and and like i never really get i never really enjoyed it that much ouch ouch okay and i guess this last one it's not just two choices i understand there are three choices now so stove cold soak or raw (sighs) Or dry, I, I guess think, dry or raw, raw, I don't know. <laughs> we went raw out of like, I, I don't want to say desperation. I don't, I don't, that's not the right word. It's more just like we were lazy. <laughs> and, and also like it saves a lot of time, uh, like objectively. And we were able to find good alternatives to like cooking or cold soaking. So it worked. I would say if I was going out on like just a backpacking trip, and I didn't have to like break a record or something like that. I think I would probably like do a stove because <laughs> that is much more enjoyable. But um, I'll say, you know, cut it down the middle, go cold soak for anyone doing a, a, a through hike. 
Yeah, I'd say basically the same. Yeah, and Woody, what I think you're getting to is um, this is a new concept now. I'm just playing. I'm, I'm going through it in my mind right now. So this will be the first time I've, I've discussed this. You've heard of the five stages of grief. Mm-hmm. Maybe there are five stages to through hiking, long distance through hiking, mm-hmm. and we can kind of maybe tease those out a little bit later. But maybe one of those state one of those stages is just acceptance. And, and, and you just resolve yourself to, okay, I'm just going to get food into me the, the quickest and easiest way possible. I'm not concerned about it being warm or tasty. I'm just getting it in. Yeah. I like that concept a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that definitely comes to you when like you finally see the end sight and you're just like, I'm going to get there one way or the other <laughs> and anything that helps me get there faster I'll do it. <laughs> yes. Now, in terms of your brands or, or, or uh, um, descriptions of your of your equipment, let's talk about your big three. What what kind of bags did you guys use in terms of uh, pack backpacks? Uh, we use Mariposa sixty liters. So um, yeah, Gossamer gear. Okay. And how about your sleeping bags? We use Sea to Summit zero degree for our zero degree sleeping bags. And then um, I'm pretty sure I had a Thermarest 20 degree quilt. I think you had a different um, brand. Yeah. So we were able to, we work with, we work with Backpacker Magazine. We're uh, producing a podcast with them, which I'm, I'm sure we'll mention at some point, but um, they were super cool when we were switching to uh, lower gear. I just uh, texted them and asked them if they would give us quilts and they gave uh, Woody um, the one that he mentioned. And then I think mine was like, uh, I don't know if it's been, it was like a, they, uh, somebody wanted it to be tested. And um, so I don't actually, I'm, I apologize, I don't remember the name at the moment, but it was a 30 degree. Okay. And your tent? My tent was a, a Hornet two person. Okay. And you each had a Hornet two person or you guys climbed in the same tent? Yeah, we shared a tent. Shared a tent, shared the stink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. All right. Hey, uh, before we get too far down the trail here, let's let's back up a little bit and talk about. I always like to hear about the origin story and how you guys came to uh, be involved in the outdoor experience. So let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you played, and how you got involved with the the through hiking cult. So who wants to go first? Oh, you, buddy. Okay. Um, so I'm originally from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which is you know the best hiking state, um, out there. Uh, the highest point around me is actually called Mount Trashmore, which was popularly named and it's an, it's a landfill. It's just like this massive mountain. So I did not that, you know, that said, I, I did not get into through hiking in Florida, although there is the Florida trail, which I'm interested in, in trying out sometime. Um, I actually went to boarding school in the Northeast. Um, and, they ran these like spring break programs where you could go out and hike. And I did a Knowles program in the white canyons of Utah. And it was, you know, just, it was an incredible experience just because like most of the people that I went with, I already knew for years. And in the two weeks that we spent out there, it just felt like I got closer to them than I ever was. Um, and so, you know, that, that's what really hooked me to the outdoors. And after that, I did another Knowles course up in Alaska for a month. And uh, after my freshman year was when I did uh, the Camino de Santiago, which is a 500 mile through hike uh, from France to the tip of Spain. And that was, you know, just like such a, such a cool, like 
and different way to live life that um, I was, you know, like I just, I had never even thought was possible, like to have so little and still to like be enjoying so much um, was just a really new, new concept to me. And uh, it was a great first taste of through hiking because it wasn't, it didn't have the same intensity as a triple crown, nor did it have the same intensity as like doing the AT or the PCT or the Arizona trail or even the Florida trail. And um, I got to like, you know, go from albergue, which is the hostels they call albergue to albergue and, you know, have my cup of cappuccino or whatever in the morning. And um, it was, you know, it was just a great taste of like the types of people that you would meet on trail and also the experience of a through hike uh, without all the grind. And so uh, that's kind of what turned me on to it. And then uh, I'm sure we'll get into this, but um, Sammy and I went on a, on a hike of the White Mountains um, during COVID and he mentioned uh, this, the idea of the calendar year triple crown. Uh, and that's kind of when the gear started to turn in my head of like, wow, I'm spending every day at home staring at a, a blank wall during this pandemic. That seems like a better way to spend my time. So um, I, you know, I started to, we started to talk and that's kind of how the ball got rolling on my end. Fantastic. Now tell me, tell me about uh, boarding school. Yeah. I've, heard about, I've heard about boarding schools. I've seen boarding schools in, in movies, horror movies, mostly, um, yeah. you know, that's, it's a good setting for something to go wrong. Uh, what, what is boarding school like? Cause I, I, I was in, I went to public school. I was a public school teacher. I was a public school administrator. I'm now in the district office for a public school district. And so right. I, 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 I'm fascinated to hear about uh, boarding school. What was it like? Is it like the horror movies? Yeah, like just like every one of those. Yeah, ghosts <laughs> at every corner. <laughs> no, it was, it was a, uh, it was an interesting experience. Like I, I don't have anything to compare it to because I never went to a regular high school. Um, but you know, talking to to friends who did have kind of the uh, the the high school experience that I think most people share, uh, it was very very different. Uh, it was like you know being shipped off to college at fourteen, and you are nowhere near mature enough to be able to handle yourself in an environment like that. Um, so, you know, like you make a lot of mistakes, you learn a lot because of those mistakes. And um, you also make a lot of great friends, which is, which is exactly it. Um, I enjoyed my time at boarding school. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm definitely glad to be in college with, uh, you know, non-boarding school kids, just because I think it's a, a little bit of a self-selecting group. Um, but yeah, it was a great experience. It's a great experience. Um... What are the main differences that you see in your personality from having gone through that experience to other other kids that you've met at Stanford who went to public school, say, and have it, and this is their first time away from home, and you you you've had that experience of being away from home. So, I won't claim any more maturity than someone who you know <laughs> was who went to a, a public or private school back at home. Um, I'll say that actually, like if anything, and this is this goes for me as well as most of my friends coming out of boarding school, um, people knew a lot more about themselves and what they wanted to do coming out of like the home environment than they do out of boarding school. Uh, and the reason is just because like, I know how to study well is what I know how to do, but they didn't really do much encouraging of like, okay, like, you know how to study, but like, what do you want to study? And, um, and so I got to college and had like a whole quarter life crisis of like, what do I want to do with myself? And, uh, I think honestly, like 
part of this trip was trying to like answer that question for myself was, you know, I, like, can I spend a little bit of time just doing something that I know I love and figure out what, what the future holds for me? Okay. And have you narrowed that down? What, what does the future hold for Woody? Um, you know, I, I think this gets into a lot of like the more broader themes of, of this, this trek for both of us, which was, you know, we saw a lot of, um, we, we met a lot of different people. We got to like hike through the most interesting parts of this country. And we also saw like a lot of things going wrong. Like we were in wildfires. We were in the heat dome up in the Pacific Northwest. We were in the cold snap down in New Mexico, um, uh, Texas area. And it just kind of like opened my eyes a little bit more to like how quickly the climate is changing. Like I always knew, of course, climate change, like we've talked about in class, we've read about it in the news, but Sammy and I were like actually living it. And um, I think it just created kind of a new sense of urgency for me, at least as something that I want to address with whatever I end up doing. Um, and then, you know, the other side of that, as I mentioned, is like, we got to, we got to um, visit like a lot of really cool places in the US and meet a lot of like very community oriented people who were, who were just kind of focused on like, you know, making a good life for themselves where they were. And um, I thought that, you know, their mindset of like, hey, like, I just, I, I want to be here. I want to be with my kids and I want to like support the trail. I think that's an incredible mindset to have, you know, just truly altruistic. And uh, it, however, like I end up um, or whatever I end up pursuing in the future, I'd love to kind of structure my life uh, around this idea of like really being community oriented and hopefully to be able to give back to the trail as well. So. Fantastic. From Florida to boarding school, to Stanford, to the trail, to um, want to make a, an impact on the trail and, and on the climate. Fantastic. Uh, Buzz, how about you? What's, what's your backstory? Um, <laughs> in regard to, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a broad question, but I guess I'll, I'll start from the beginning. I, I'm from um, the, the real best hiking state of Maine. Um, and uh, yeah, I grew up, grew up uh, near the coast. Um, you know, hiked a fair amount, but um, never, never really more than, I don't know, maybe like 20 miles or something. Spent a ton of time in the White Mountains when I was a kid. Um, have pretty distinct memories of like Franconia Ridge or the Carters or um, the Kinsmans, if that, if that rings a bell for anybody. Those are all in the AT. Um, and, you know, kind of grew up in the periphery of the Appalachian Trail to some extent. You know, I remember being like up at Rangeley um, and picking up a hitchhiker when I was like 15, 15. Um, but it, you know, even when you're, when you're living near it, it's, you know, the idea of like through hiking is still kind of mythical and you sort of think of like the people who you see that see there as both like, wow, like, I don't really understand you, but also like, you know, that, that person is like a God, you know, you, you, you sort of think of them as otherworldly. Um, yeah. Uh, went to public school, uh, ended up at, uh, Stanford, um, mostly because my sister went there and, you know, I hadn't like really heard of it before that or anything, but came out to visit her and, um, really enjoyed it and um, ended up like kind of lining up with um, my academic goals at the time. And um, yeah, uh, enjoyed like my first year for sure. Um, somewhat enjoyed my second year as well, although I had, you know, some very, some big difficulties there as well. The, the biggest one being uh, one of my closest friends passed away um, while I was at school and um, that was the pandemic. And I think sort of set me um, onto a, onto a track that, uh, you know, forced me to uh, question a lot of, a lot of things I had, um, perceived as, uh, uh, perceived as, as just normal. Um, and what I mean by that is, 
uh, I felt really dissatisfied with the sort of like linear path in life of going between school and work and maybe going to grad school, maybe not, maybe, you know, working and then just settling down and sort of uh, settling into like, you know, for lack of a better term, the monotony of, of, of certain, um, of certain things. And, um, you know, I was just really super, very dissatisfied with that. And I think I'd been dissatisfied with it for quite a long time, although it took, you know, two big things, one, um, you know, the pandemic and two, someone really close to me passing away um, to question like what I really want out of life. And then what, like, you know, at a bare minimum, like makes me feel alive. And um, I, that those, those two things that like, pointed me to um, pointed me to the outdoors uh, was living sort of vicariously through a lot of um, adventure stories that I, that I was reading, which I, you know, was obsessed with as a kid, but um, you know, there's a difference between reading Ernest Shackleton when you're six and uh, reading it when you're, you know, 20 and really thinking about what it means to like have your hands freezing um and uh, eventually read this awesome book called uh the F uh, free outside by jeff garmier um aka legend legend um, who i'm pretty sure you have had on your show at some point right yeah he's been on right? twice and I've, I've got a commitment for him to uh come on a third time so he's great Let's he's go. a fantastic guy yeah we're huge fans of legend and honestly a like, huge shout out to him because he's, he's been super helpful for us like even even right after i read that book you know, it was like, it was definitely like a really special moment of um, when I, you know, read it because um, I read it in like two days um, during work. And um, at the end of it, I was like, ah, this is crazy. Like, I almost didn't believe that it was like possible or believe that it was like real. And I looked into it more and like online and stuff. And I was like, wow, like that is possible. Like, I'm going to do that. And, um, but just the point is huge shout out to him because um, like I reached out to him pretty early on in the planning process when I was like, um, you know, I was a novice, like even when we start, we were no novices when we started in January, but I was really a novice when I, you know, had the idea in like mid, in like mid April of 2020, but he was still super kind and like, um, thoughtful and willing to answer all the questions, no matter like in retrospect, how basic they were. Um, and you know, like there's very few people who I think when you say you're going to do something like this will, um, immediately have faith in you and you can tell he has faith in you. Right. And, um, you know, Jeff is like, I don't know what it was, but like, he's just, it was like really kind the way that he um, just put his time and energy, especially in the beginning. Um, he was kind of busy, like later on, we didn't get to talk as much, but like, I just remember like emailing with him in late April of 2020. It was super helpful. Um, from there, like, just like borderline became obsessed very quickly. Um, and, you know, like every decision being made was, was made in the context of uh, trying to send the, send the triple crown in 2021. Mm -hmm. And then as, as Woody mentioned, um, we ended up hiking together in uh, it was July 20th. We did the President Harris, which is on the AT, um, a section of the AT, 10 peaks. I think it's like 9,000 feet of vert, vertical elevation gain. Um, and I remember like leaving Woody's house in New Hampshire, uh, his summer house at like 2 a.m. And then we did the whole thing in one day. It was like an epic day. And uh, we talked a bit about the Triple Crown sort of conceptually at the time. Um, and then like within a week, you know, it was clear that we were going to do it together. And um, yeah, from, from there, uh, you know, <laughs> like we did about seven, I guess that was like six months of, of planning um, from there. And uh, you know, every, like every moment of my life was centered or both our lives, I think were really centered around like uh, putting the shit together. Seven, but, seven um, months of a, yeah. of a deep dive into logistics and planning and dreaming and thinking about the triple crown. Oh yeah. And yeah. a lot of, 
of it, which is kind of funny, just like went to the wayside. It was great to get like our heads wrapped around um, the, the hike itself. But we had literally like spreadsheets that mapped out every single day what we were going to do. And within like three days of starting the AT, it was like, oh, this won't work. Yeah. yeah goodbye. Like, out the window. Out the window. Uh, exactly. Exactly. That's great. Now, before we go to a quick break here, I, I want to touch on a couple of things that uh, the buzz brought up. Um, number one, Shackleton, was it endurance that you read? Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I've read endurance, like I think four times now. Um, but they're also like uh, Ernest Shackleton's proper biography. And then I'm blanking on the name, but, um, he also has like his own, um, uh, he also has his own, um, book that he wrote about the experience, which Alfred Lansing used to write endurance. And, um, I think is a hot take, but I think it's like, I think it's more exciting, Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the original OG book was, uh, endurance. Okay. Fantastic. I've read that too. That, that was just mind boggling. Everything that those guys went through, how long they were on the ice and nobody died. I mean, that is just, that is crazy. Human beings are, are hardy beings. If, if they went through all that and nobody died. Second thing is uh, before we go to break, uh, did you, have you decided on a career, what you want to do after Stanford? Um, I have not, um, you know, it's to some to some degree. I know know like what direction I, I want to go. Um, I think I'm I'm very passionate now about like the outdoor space, especially outdoor media. Um, had the pleasure of producing a podcast throughout this um, that's being put out by Backpacker Magazine, and like just really enjoyed that experience of um, you know like um, being able to do something I'm super passionate about and uh, and uh, you know create something out of it. Uh, and I, I love that like creative creative angle of of storytelling. Um, and so, you know, I, I would love to pursue that to, to some degree. I don't know about like long-term necessarily, but, um, that's, that's, what's getting me, getting me super psyched right now. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, I love it. Okay. And I'll just leave us with this before we go to break that line, that line that you threw out there about uh, being dissatisfied with the linear, the linear path that uh, strikes mm-hmm. me as very ironic as you guys just walked three, three, uh, very long paths and, uh, did a lot of linear walking. So, Uh, Hang on to that. We'll be right back after this break. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Muir Pod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, 
you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Buzz and Woody. Heard about their background and uh, the fact that they're at Stanford figuring things out. And now we want to get into the, the nitty gritty of the calendar year Triple Crown. And so the, I know this was an obsession for you guys for a, a number of months, all the planning and logistics. And I, Woody, I, I so identify with your spreadsheet story and how you've got it all mapped out, all planned out. And then you get out there on the trail and it just goes to hell uh, real quick. And you got to, you got to make an adjustment. You got to, you can't, you can't stick to that, that schedule. Yeah. It's like Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a game plan. So you get punched in the mouth. Yeah, exactly. 100%. And the, the punch was, was the triple crown. Um, uh, yeah, it was, you know, like the thing is like, I'll say just about like the, the planning and preparation part, it, it definitely was like an essential thing for us to do before we got out there, just because, you know, even though like maybe the exact details differed, uh, the more overarching, um, kind of like, you know, like where we needed to be by about this time, um, ended up like being pretty, pretty similar to, yeah, our I mean, plans. it's like classic um, Eisenhower, right? And like, uh, plans are nothing. Planning is everything. If you don't plan, you don't have the context or what, what you're doing, you know, like if we didn't plan, we would have started this shit. Like at, we probably would have started this on the CDT in January and they got hit with, you know, the literally like the worst winter they've ever had, negative you know, 10 in Lordsburg, New Mexico. Like we might've died, you know, if we weren't like planning for that. Right. Exactly. But, you know, I, I think, uh, in the in the vein of having you know our initial plans changed, that was true about our plans for how we would split up the trails. Uh, I think initially we had thought that we would do the AT straight through, and then we'd do like the CDT or PCT straight through, and then do the other trail finally. Um, and it it didn't end up working out that way. Uh, it was really snowy on the AT. We got about to the halfway mark, and we were looking at conditions over in the desert sections of the PCT and CDT. And we just have to ask ourselves, like, why, like, especially with the time constraint that we had uh, and making sure that we could keep our mileage, do we actually want to stay here to finish the AT and suffer through it? Or do we want to put ourselves in a better position later down the line by being able to do bigger miles through the deserts of the PCT and CDT? And so we ended up making the decision to transfer um, at about the halfway mark of the AT. And... Uh, we, I, I believe the actual town that we transferred was Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. And then we went over to, um, to Lordsburg, New Mexico, uh, 
and we actually was Lordsburg the name of the, the the town that was right on the the border. Do you remember? Um, so Lordsburg, New Mexico, is eighty miles north of the border. Right. Um, Crazy Cook Monument is where we started the Continental Trail. There's two uh, terminus termini, I guess, and um, Crazy Cook is definitely the more more popular popular of them. But after we left the the AT, I think it's important to note at that point we didn't have plans to through any of them without. Um, without interruption, we realized like if we were going to leave the AT that early, um, you know, it was I think it was February 21st. That was way too early to start northbound pure on the PCT or northbound pure on the CDT, especially with the snow year that they had in the San Juans. So we knew at that point we we're like, okay, we'll do the desert sections now, finish up the AT, um, and then uh, split each of the yeah, basically split like the PCT and CDT into uh, southern section and northern section. So as Woody yeah, mentioned, so the reasoning there, sorry, crazy sorry, crazy. Buzz. Sorry, Buzz. The reasoning there is that if you had started in February on either one of the uh, the, the CDT or the PCT and had hiked northbound trying to do a, a full through hike, you would, when you got to the mountains, it would have been much too early in the season to try yeah. and, and traverse that with the amount of snow that was that was there. Yeah, way too early, at least for our skills in the, for the Sierra, and then way mm-hmm. too early for the San Juans as well in um, in northern New Mexico and Colorado. So we did, yeah, so we did the desert sections there, came back to the AT, um, had a swimmingly good time on the uh, northern section of the AT. It's just like, ugh, it's logic for that section of the trail. It's, it's beautiful. Got to Katahdin on May 28th, um, then went back to the PCT, hiked the Sierras northbound, so Kennedy Meadows, uh, north or sorry, Kennedy Meadows South, all the way through the Sierras to Southern Oregon, um, uh, right around Medford, Fish Lake. The one caveat there is um, we actually ran into a, a fire like during that during that section. It was pretty early on in terms of uh, the California fires this year, um, but just around the town of Etna, um, between Scott Mountain Summit and Etna Summit, there was a fire. Like literally, as we were going through it, I had to run back to the trailhead because smoke was um, smoke was almost enveloping me and you know like losing uh, losing breath. And they had closed the trail like um, right before I started going up it. So we had to leave a forty mile section there um, between Scott Mountain Summit and Etna Summit um, on that section. Uh, once we got to Southern Oregon, we took a little bit of time off. Uh, Woody's brother uh, was married, and uh, obviously he had to go to that. And uh, then we went back to the CDT and uh, hiked the rest of the CDT, entire rest of the CDT, and finished up by uh, hiking the uh, uh, sections of the PCT, northern sections that we hadn't done. Yeah, and then we actually came back to that 40-mile section that um, Sammy mentioned earlier, uh, where we encountered that forest fire and did those 40 miles. Um, That's a story in itself, just because of how the fire was, you know, um, kind of a, a life or death situation. And then when we came back, apparently another fire had come through and shut down the trail com- completely. Um, I will also say that our decision to transfer um, uh, from Northern California, sorry, from, uh, from Medford area, Oregon, uh, rather than to transfer after the Sierras was, you know, it turned out to be like a really, really good one. Um, we were doing it at the time because we had enjoyed hiking the PCT mid hiker season. We were seeing people, which was a change of pace. And, um, we just decided to keep going. And that decision, um, ended up saving us, uh, having to like hike around the incredible number of fire closures that were in Northern California, uh, when we got there end of season. 
So that was a, that was a really lucky, lucky decision on our part. Yeah. Talk about climate change, Woody. I mean, the, the number of fires we're seeing in, on the West coast the, uh, in recent years is just, it's uh, it's terrible. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we can go more into uh, the story that, that Sammy had, but I, sorry, that Buzz had, but um, it was like, you know, it was one of those, those moments where, as a, you know, as a friend and also as someone who was, you know, at the fire closure, having someone further along, uh, I just felt so incredibly helpless. And, I, I, you know, I can't imagine like how scared and, um, and just like, you know, frightened, like it must be to like actually be in that situation, but also to be at the base of, of the mountain, just not knowing when or if uh, your hiking partner is going to come down was terrifying. Yeah. Take us through that day. So you guys get up, you break camp. What's the day look like? Uh, how does the day proceed? And you guys have some space in between you and, uh, how did you guys end up reuniting? So the NorCal section of the PCT is like very chill in comparison, especially after you, after you just, you know, hike through Forester Pass and all the pass in the Sierras. Like once you get past, uh, maybe like Sierra city or something, it's like, it's very chill, um, minor ups and downs. And because of that, like I'd say we were, pretty relaxed uh, and um i think we, we weren't really hiking all that much together we usually had a fair amount of space uh, between us so we would like get into different rhythms and start and end at different times sometimes usually like meet up at the end of the day um on that particular day um the scott mountain summit terminus or sorry the scott mountain summit um intersection with highway three was 20 miles into our day uh i believe we got there around like 2 30 or so 2 30 p.m we were planning to do, I think, like a 34, 35 mile day. Um, anyway, so that was mile 20. I believe I was about a mile or like half an hour maybe in front of in front of Woody, just, you know, piecing that together. It's kind of hard to tell, um, but just kind of piecing that together in retrospect. Um, I got to the road crossing, um, Highway 3, and didn't really think that I saw a couple of hikers there who I figured had just come down and were maybe leaving. Um, but seemed to me like just any other, any other road crossing on the PCT and, uh, it goes up, there's a, a kind of long incline after that, maybe like two or three miles of just straight incline. And, um, you know, I kind of zoned out a little bit as one does when they're pretty fatigued. I think I put on maybe like a podcast or something and, um, just kind of, uh, zoned out a bit, was enjoying the climb somewhat, but was realizing like the smoke was sort of starting to come in. And uh, figured it was maybe just like a more dry day than usual because we knew our forest fires like 50, 60 miles away. Um, but after another mile, I just was kind of thinking to myself, like, this is unprecedented. You know, I haven't really experienced any degree of, uh, of smoke like this. Um, so I tried to check like the fire report, but my um, phone wasn't phone wasn't working, um, had no service, continued on to about four and a half, five miles past the highway three intersection that's when the smoke wall got like really bad and um, i have a bit a bit of asthma pretty minor um but i could definitely feel my chest like compressing a bit and uh, just wasn't sure what what to do um sort of like sat down thought about it for a little bit and uh at that point i think i was in like satellite gps range right um because our, our garmin devices you need uh, multiple angles of uh, exposure to the sky in order to get or uh or de deliver or send messages properly. Um, so at that point, I get like a flood of Garmin texts from uh, from my good friend Woody, um, who had probably been trying to send it for for quite some time. 
and you know it was like come down like they they closed the trail um you know like get out like um i i should i should have them have them saved but you know basically the uh the story behind it was like you got to get down now there's a forest fire like very close by um i was right uh basically at the top of the ridge line and um i just climbed up like slightly more knowing that i was going to run down um and look down and just saw like wall smoke and then some distant flames and sprinted down like you know it wasn't a thought at that point it's like sprinted down um i think ran like the fastest i had ever run uh, i ran track in high school but um but th- this was like the fastest miles i'd ever run you know it was like five miles and i think i think i ended up doing it in like just over like 20 minutes so like you know unprecedented for for me my legs were just destroyed for days after that um literally sprinting downhill with a you know 30 pound pack or or whatever but it was you know i out of adrenaline the weird thing about those things is you're not you're not scared in the moment you know because it's just an insane sense of alertness and presence you have to have um and it's not really a conscious decision it just sort of overcomes your body like it's a uh, very practical if i have a chance of getting out of this um then i have to be as alert as possible as i can you know because like worrying is only going to take energy that i could otherwise be using to try to you know go fast or think about a better way to get out or, or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just tried to just tried to stay focused, uh, keep going. Um, I, I kept telling myself like, no, like I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let like a fire, like end my life, you know, that's, it's a terrible thought. Um, and uh, finally got to the, uh, um, the trailhead uh, more sweat than I've, you know, ever had on my body and probably smelled terrible. Um, but, you know, I was, obviously alive and smelled worse than usual i bet yeah (laughs) and uh then we had to get we had to try to find a ride out of there which was like a whole nother challenge but uh we made it out which is super great and woody what was what what was it like from your perspective i was fine no kidding (laughs) no so i you know i of course as as sammy said i was about uh a mile or so behind him and when i showed up there were about 30, uh, 30 cars that were parked in the, in the trailhead, right where, uh, you cross the highway. And I knew at that point, something was off. Actually, at first I thought it was just a whole bunch of trail magic. So I got really excited. Uh, and I crossed the street to ask them what was happening. And, um, they were like, well, our camp has been evacuated from the area because of a forest fire around here. And I was like, where, in what direction uh, were you evacuated? Like, what, where's the forest fire? Um, what's shut down? And they just told me everything this way of the highway was, was at risk of, you know, going up in flames. And so uh, that's, that's kind of when I started to, to freak out. And the initial thought that you have in those moments is like, if I drop my pack and I run up there, like maybe I could, you know, catch up and, and try to bring them back down. But of course, like one, Sammy's a fast hiker and two, um, and two, you know, it's never a good idea to put yourself in danger of a forest fire uh, just to, to save someone else. And so I started, as he said, messaging him on my Garmin. And I probably, I probably made, I probably texted like a hundred times uh, before I got anything back. But in the interim period, the sheriff showed up and he went up on a dirt road that paralleled the trail and was like using his megaphone to try to get Sammy uh, and track him down. Uh, but of course that didn't work. He turned around, uh, and came back down, told me he hadn't found anyone. And literally at the same second was when I finally got a text back from Sammy and, you know, about like, uh, I want to say like 20, 30 minutes later was when I saw his sweaty mess 
at the, at the trailhead finally. So, um, yeah, it was, it was scary, you know, like it, it really, you do feel helpless in, in situations like that. Um, but glad we made it up. Could have had a new trail name there. Smoky. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like... Nice. Now I think I glossed over it a little bit at the very beginning of the, of the episode where I said that, you know, very few people have, have accomplished this feat of doing the calendar year triple crown. Do you guys know, in fact, how many have, have accomplished this feat? Yeah. So um, we were in communications with this guy named Pathfinder who did a single year triple crown, um, which is, of course, it it's exactly what it sounds like. Instead of doing a, calendar, a, a triple crown in one calendar year, it's in a single year, so the same calendar year. And he, he actually kept pretty detailed track of people that have uh, accomplished the, the calendar year uh, triple crown. Um, and we became the uh, 11th and 12th of people to have done it um, and the youngest. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty close to single digits. So 11th and 12th, that's, that is impressive. I mean, what other, what other subsections of society can we say that only 11 or 12 people have done this in the world? I mean, it's, it's, you're, it's rare company guys. Pretty impressive. I was, uh, we, we always joke about like, you know, maybe we should try to get everybody together who has, who has done it, you know, it'd be like really cool to just like start a group chat or something. Cause I like, it's really cool now talking to like, um, you know, gar, uh, legend or we haven't really talked to Pathfinder, but it's just cool to know that there's like, you know, we went through a lot of stuff, but there's like, uh, there's a really small number of people who like know exactly what that's like. And uh, I think it's like, it's pretty cool, cool bond. Yeah, I think this, it, I mean, this whole concept has not been around for a long time. I think Brian Robinson was the first one to do it back in 2001. So we're talking about a 20 year span with just 11 or 12 people who have done it. Uh, like you said, Jeff Garmeyer, legend is is one of them. Uh, I think uh, Heather Anderson, Anoush, I yeah. think she was the first female to do it, I think in 2018. And so again, rare company. Um Pretty exclusive, pretty exclusive. So I will say there is a 13th now um, who is uh, horsepower. He finished this year and I think he finished only like two days after us. Um, he's a really good buddy of ours. We saw him on trail. And as Sammy said, like, it's always awesome to like see someone who knows what you're going through. Like that is the appeal of a, of doing a through hike. Right. And so it, it was definitely like a reunion when we, when we saw him in the winds. Okay, now I need to check something. You said horsepower, right? Mm-hmm. All right, stand by here. I think he and I have talked, and he's coming on the podcast. Well, oh, no way. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Great. Brandon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's him. Yeah, Brandon, horsepower. He's, he's out somewhere on, on the trail, but when he's finished, he's going he's gonna to get in touch with me, and, and we're going to set something up. So that's good. Good follow-up. Yeah. All right. Hey, let me pin you down on some, uh, some moments out there. So uh, I want to, I want to hear from each of you. What was your, for, your favorite moment on each trail? So we'll start with the AT. What was your favorite, favorite moment on the AT Woody? Yeah. Good question. Um, I have to say summit in Katahdin was, was by far in a way my favorite moment on the AT. Um, we've actually talked about this a whole bunch. Um, Buzz and I, and, you know, like it, I know it's not at a border, but like the fact that you summit a mountain at the end, it just feels like, you know, you're, 
you're doing something like you're, this is the culmination. This is like, um, this is the end of the road. And also the fact that it's Katahdin, which is this like massive Goliath of a mountain that just comes out of nowhere. Um, it just, you know, it lets you look back on where you came from and you can kind of see some of the mountains in the distance. And it was just really a special experience. And we actually did a, a sunrise hike of it. So we got up in the middle of the night. We were the first people to, to finish the AT this year. And so uh, we, we got up on the day that the mountain opened um, and summited. And uh, I just remember like, you know, as I was hiking up in the dark, just thinking about like all the crits that we had uh, on the AT, like, you know, sleeping on a public restroom floor in the Smokies and uh, like being in two feet of snow uh, that wasn't there the night before when we were up in Pennsylvania. And uh, just like all of those like, terrible but memorable moments and you know as I got to the top and realized it was all over um it was you know it was just this such like it was just this incredible sense of relief uh and and also like at the same time I was doing it with you know my hiking partner like the only per other person in the world that can know what I had gone through and that was that was really special yeah you qualify now Woody you know, Ivy Tat, Ivy Tat was on, and he said that not anybody can be called hiker trash. You have to sleep in a bathroom at least once, so you qualify. <laughs> Woo! I did it. <laughs> More important than the triple crown, right there. Nice, <laughs> Buzz. What was your favorite moment from the AT? You know, I was like, I was as as what he was speaking. I was trying to get myself to uh, garner up the courage to like say a different memory, just because like you know I don't wanna, I don't want to like replicate what what he said. But that like Katahdin was just so special that i can't help but i can't i'd be remiss if i didn't mention that as as my favorite one as well um you know i think uh i i've you know i climbed katahdin plenty of times before and many uh, many different routes as well um but doing it at sunrise and it's been, like doing it in the way that we did it um was just unbelievably special we um time like, basically you know just by luck we timed it basically perfectly to get there the exact day that the mountain opened, that the trails in the mountain opened for the first time all uh, since the spring. Um, so perfect timing, uh, you know, the end of our first trail, we had a lot of trials and tribulations over the you know previous months to get there. And I think it, it almost felt like a symbolic halfway point, um, which we realized later on, it basically was the halfway point. Um, but it, I think kind of marked the end of like, you know, all the, sh all the stuff that we went through midwinter, um, and the, the start of a new chapter and Katahdin itself is just, you know, like is special beyond, beyond all words. Um, personal Baxter, who's the guy who, um, designated, uh, Baxter State Park as a, um, as a protected, uh, landmass, uh, you know, is famous for saying that Katahdin shall remain forever and all, all its glory for, for the people of Maine. And like, I think just. You know, it's like something we hold really, uh, we cherish a lot as, um, as uh, patrons of patrons of that area and members of that members of that state. And you know, when you're on top of that mountain, it's just like there's there's no there's no place in the world that you'd rather be. Now, I want our listeners to take note that uh, Buzz here has dropped Shackleton. He's talked about Eisenhower and now Percival Baxter. Uh, are you a history major there, Buzz? I'm not. I just am. I'm a sucker for the classics. Like, nice. I, I love reading classics. Okay, let's go to the CDT. What was your favorite favorite moment from the CDT, Woody? Um, there, the CDT was a trip, and I feel like anyone who has ever done the CDT will say the same thing. Um, I'm gonna give 
I think it was kind of mixed with an uh-oh, mixed with a, you know, favorite time on trail uh, moment. So I was, we had just come out of the Gila, uh, which is like, you know, this incredibly beautiful stretch of trail that goes along the Gila River. And um, I had gotten a cut on my hand and it was just a scrape. So I didn't think too much of it. And over the next couple of days, it started to get more and more red. And then um, it swelled up and there was all these like white bumps that appeared on my hand and then extending up my arm. And uh, so I was, you know, I was worried. Uh, and I, I, I ended up calling ahead to the next town, which was Pie Town, New Mexico. And this place is like, 20, 20, like 20 residents max. And it has like a single store that exclusively sells pies. Um, and we, I called the hostel there, which is called the toaster house. And the, the person who owns it was just like, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at your hand and worse comes to worse. You can borrow my car and drive the 150 miles that you would need to, to get to the nearest hospital. And so we end up that day that I called there pushing our longest day so that I could get my hand checked out. And also we had come to the spot that we were planning on staying, which was supposed to be a resupply point, but it ended up just being like a shack because that's the CDT. Um, and um, we get to the toaster house at 2.30 a.m. And that's like when things got really weird. And it was like, first of all, the toaster house is literally a house decorated entirely in toasters. There's like not an inch of wall that's showing. It's just toasters on, on all of the walls of this house. And uh, we knock on the door and this guy named Jefferson, who's like, you know, this Einstein lookalike, white frizzy hair, greets us like it's the middle of the day. Um, and he shows us upstairs. We sleep the night. And then in the morning, uh, this, this, uh, the owner of the hostel comes up and she's this, you know, older woman. She has this like case with her. And I sit down next to her and she's like, uh, this is my, this is my basket of herbs and we're going to fix your hand without you having to go to the hospital. So she's just like, you know, at, at that point I'm like, should I take medical advice from someone who lives in a house that's decorated in toasters and in a town called Pie Town? Um, but when I was, you know, weighing 150 mile drive versus, you know, these herbs, I ended up choosing the herbs and I swear to God within like 24 hours, the infection was gone. So, uh, only in New Mexico. <laughs> Very good. That that is quite a story. Yeah, that's great. Buzz, how about you? You still with us? Yes, sir. Um, favorite, favorite moment favorite on the CDT? From, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I, I stopped my video because I think the band. It might be better for the bandwidth if I just go go audio. Um, my favorite memory from the CDT uh, would have to be in the the Wind River Range in Wyoming. Um, it's, it's easily coupled with my, my worst memory as well. Um, you know, when we got to Colorado and, and we're hiking through like central Colorado, Northern Colorado and Southern Wyoming on the CDT, um, I was just feeling the worst that I think I've ever felt. Um, you know, I had like no energy, my joints were hurting. I generally just felt like no vitality. And every morning that we woke up, I was just like dreading hiking, you know, which was so weird. Cause every, you know, the previous six or seven months I had just, loved it so much um it kind of came to a head when we uh were just about to enter the wind river range um which is a beautiful you know notorious section of trail where you don't really have a, a, a road crossing for i think it's 160 or 170 miles and you know feeling like feeling of like that and also having some major like gi and um stomach issues i was pretty nervous about it ended up vomiting like you know just a couple miles uh, into that and uh 
mentioned it to Woody. He, you know, was super gracious and just saying like, you know, if we need to figure out a way to bail out of here, like I'm, I'm all, I'm all in, but let's do it sooner rather than later, which I, I really appreciated that he said that to me. I said, you know, no, I'm fine. Um, Cause after you've like vomit, I mean, it's kind of gross, but you feel a lot better afterwards. Right. Um, you know, it kind of happened again, like an hour later. And um, you know, I, I just decided like, you know, it's, it's, it's only going to get worse from here. Um, we were able to get a ride out of there on a dirt road from this guy that we had met previously um, and was so kind to, uh, to, to help us get out of there. Um, hitched into, so we got hitched into Lander, Wyoming, um, went immediately to urgent care. And uh, very quickly, they were able to establish that I had Giardia and uh, two types of E. coli, um, like a bad water source or, you know, whatever it was. Um, yeah, the next three days were like brutal, but I was very glad to have finally figured out what it was. And then when we finally went back into the Wind River range, I was about two or three days into antibiotics. And uh, on the fourth day, something just hit. And uh, I really like turned a corner, you know, like colors literally like seemed brighter. Food like finally had taste again. Like I had an appetite. Just like, you know, I just felt so much better from antibiotics. And uh, um, there was like two days in the winds where, where we were near knapsack call. And uh, it's just some of the most spectacular alpine lakes and um, jagged terrain that I've ever seen. And um, it was just such a special memory, like finally having my health, really appreciating it, just like reveling in the fact that like, wow, I don't feel like I want to like lie down and, you know, stay in one place for like the entire day. Like, it, it just simple things like that. Um, I have a really distinct memory of how, how grateful I felt. Uh, now, we days. We have said several times on this podcast that the most beautiful of views come after the the toughest of trials. And I'm usually mm. talking about big climbs and you find yourself in an alpine lake and, and you appreciate it even more because of the big climb. But you've just you have put a, a GI spin on that whole concept that uh, this these these two days in, in the Wind River range uh, were even more beautiful because you had just gone through a, a bout with with Giardia. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. All right. Hey, let's go to the PCT. What's your favorite, favorite moment there, Woody? Good question. Um, there was, so when we finished up on the AT, um, we ended up transferring over to the Sierras and going north from there. And uh, I remember like we had gotten, so we, we had, we had uh, just gotten to like our first kind of Alpine Lake and up until that point, we had just been going nonstop and the weather it's the weather was, you know, less than, um, less than ideal for the entire thing. We were in snow on and off, even in the desert. Um, and you know, from the, you know, the desert itself, like both of us got injured, like it was, it was all, it was all really, really tough. And, um, I remember getting to this lake and, kind of seeing all of these other through hikers just reveling in like their first Alpine Lake experience. And, um, I ended up like taking my shoes off and just like sitting right by that Lake and looking up at the clouds. And there was nothing like really special about that moment. Like it wasn't like an incredible view or anything like that, but it was just that moment of like stopping and appreciating where I was, uh, and appreciating with other people, uh, that, that really made that moment special. Um, and I think that kind of like points to another, another uh, trend, at least for my experience of through hiking is like, you know, some of the most special moments aren't those that are like in the most famous of spots. They're really those moments that like you make for yourself 
to stop and enjoy. Um, and that, that was definitely one of them for me. Okay. Great. Buzz. My favorite memory on the PCT. It's a really good question. I'm going to have to say um, the first day of our last uh, extended stint on the PCT where we were going southbound um, from uh, the Washington Canadian border um, all the way down to Southern Oregon. I think getting there was like a massive milestone that like, okay, this is our final stretch. Like this idea that seemed impossible, like, you know, less than a year ago is now not only probable uh, possible, but it's almost probable because we've, you know, worked so hard to put ourselves in, in that position. And I think it was up until that point, I think I, you know, hadn't really let myself and we don't, you know, usually like let ourselves celebrate too much because, you know, as soon as you get arrogant or like even the slightest bit cocky, like everything goes wrong. Right. Um, but I, you know, I, I, and I don't think like we got arrogant at that point, but I think, you know, I definitely did have a moment where I was like, wow, like this actually might happen. Um, and it was pretty powerful. And then also that was coupled with just like a two or three days of incredible weather um, in the Northern Cascades. And, you know, some of the, you know, some of the most beautiful trail of, of, um, of the entire Triple Crown is in, is in the Northern Cascades as well. And, you know, so all those things, all those things combined together, um, just like, you know, really felt awesome out of, after uh, a long time uh, being on trail. I'll also say to tack on to that experience, um, what made that section of trail so special for me at least was we, so as we said, we did from uh, the Sierras up to Oregon uh, earlier in the year. And then we came back to do the last section from Washington down to the place we left off in Oregon. And literally everyone, or at least most people that we met while we were doing our northbound through hike, were finishing up their, their hike in Washington when we got up there to go southbound. And so we got to reconnect with these people and hear like about all the time in between and, and their through hike experience. Um, and I'll say like, you know, maybe we weren't going that fast because literally like every other hiker, we were stopping and being like, how was it? Like, what was this experience for you? Because we're almost at the end um, and we're probably thinking about the same things. Uh, and just to have like, you know, to have that sort of celebration at, you know, a moment when, as Sammy said, like we could kind of finally let ourselves celebrate a little bit was amazing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things could go wrong, right? I mean, if you're doing one trail, doing one long trail, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to finish it. So many things, uh, misstep, weather, fire, whatever, but to do three in the same calendar year, I mean, there, there's a lot, there are a lot of variables out there and, uh, you can't let you get yourself too high. Can't get your hopes up too high, uh, until the very end there. So that's, that's gotta be, uh, quite, uh, a feeling as you are getting close to that finishing spot. So incredible. All right. Hey, of the three, you guys have the same favorite trail. If you had to pick one of those three, which is, which is the best trail, the AT, the PCT or the CDT. I think we have the same favorite, maybe for different reasons, but um, I really enjoyed the AT. It felt like home. Uh, and I'll say like, you know, objectively, probably like the PCT was the most, beautiful like with the wind river range with colorado all of it um and the pct like had the most amount of people for us but there was just something about the at and especially hiking in the winter when it wasn't a green tunnel like you got all the views that was that was really special yeah it's undoubtedly the at as well um 
I, you know, we have a different experience than anybody, most people who like the AT, because we saw very few people. And for most people, it's like defined by uh, social experience, I think, um, sort of like moving with the hiker bubble. But for us, you know, we didn't see like anybody. <laughs> and um, I thought that was awesome. Like, I thought that was one of the best things that I could have asked for. And especially because like the northern section of the AT, um, you know, the Green Mountains in Vermont, the White Mountains in New Hampshire and uh, the Mahoosic Range in, um, in Maine. You know, those, those places like feel like home and they, they are home. And, um, you know, I, there's nowhere like that's my favorite place in the world. And, um, yeah, because of that, I think uh, I think the, the AT just stands above the other two for, for both of us. OK, now, as we are heading towards the end of the episode, running short on time here uh, real quickly, Woody, what did you learn about yourself from this experience? Oh real quick. Gosh. Yeah, Woody. <laughs> 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 Ah, oh, geez, putting me on the spot. Um, in one word. <laughs> yeah. Um, love. Uh, let's see. Jeez, um, what did I learn about myself? You know, um, this year was tough. Like it was hard. Uh, and I think going into it, I thought it was going to be like a lot more meditative and reflective than I thought it, than it actually ended up being like, we were doing more than a marathon almost every day by the end. And like, it's, that's not, it, you know, that's not like sitting under a tree and meditating for that amount of time every day. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I explored my physical limits further than I ever thought that I would, um, and I got to do that with one of my best friends. And that was, that was really, really special. Um, and so, you know, I think when I, when I think about like what I've learned from this whole thing, it's, it's mainly just kind of like exploring like who I was already, because I had so much time to, to think. And I also had so much time to kind of like see what my limits were in so many different random scenarios, you know, and, uh, to put myself in really challenging positions and kind of discover like new parts of myself that I didn't realize were there because there would have been no other opportunity for me to be in those situations. Um, I, I and you're, I know you're going to ask, like, did you like what you found? Uh, and I guess, you know, I, I was just, uh, I, I think, I think I have, like, I, you know, I, I feel like more in tune with who I am and um, ready to kind of like enter the world in, in a way that I think is probably like more authentic than, uh, than who I was before. Like how I mentioned with going to boarding school, like I, I really never had time to, to figure out who I was. And, and I think that this trail has definitely helped me do that. So. That's great. Thanks, Woody. It's always, it's always best when the guests ask their own follow-up questions to themselves. It just flows better. So yeah. yeah. Does your work for you. That's right. I sit back and relax. Buzz, how about you? What'd you, what'd you learn about Buzz? Um, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to distill into a few words, but um, I think I, I think I grew in my ability to, uh, or my relationship to um, like confidence and uh, you know, what is the best way to accomplish something um, that I, I perceive as great and, um, and, and valuable. And I, I think I really came to the conclusion that it's really important to never take yourself too seriously. Like always be, you know, kind of having a good time, but not underestimate, underestimate the task at hand. And then also just the, um, I think the thing I learned about myself is um, how deep it is or how deep you can go into yourself and, um, to outlast like whatever whatever you're dealing with um 
I was thinking about that a lot while, um, like, yeah, we, we mentioned endurance and then, you know, like, uh, um, not to like <laughs> talk about another literary classic, but, um, in Moby Dick, they like a huge theme is like, um, that, you know, the harpooner only loses when they give up, like a harpooner will always outlast if they, if they, if they just simply don't stop. And like, I just lo- I love that idea of like outlasting. Um, and, uh, it's a simple one, right? Like this too shall pass. And it, it always does like when, whether something's difficult or whether something's easy, like it's never going to last forever. Um, but just staying in the pocket, like, uh, and trying to, you know, outlast, I, like, I, I think that's, those are the most, most valuable, um, moments. You know, I look back on those with so much joy and I think I learned that I, you know, thrive in those situations. Fantastic. All right. Hey guys, you know where we are? Sorry? We're, we're at that time of the episode where I ask you for your pro tip insight of the week. Woody and Buzz, what do you have to share with our listeners? What, what bit of uh, wisdom to make their next outdoor experience even better? All right. Doc's been putting me on the spot. So this is your response. Okay. Um, yeah. I appreciate the warning earlier in the episode. It, I actually was thinking about it a little bit. I'm going to say um, that we gained a lot of value out of having an inline filtration system, an inline water filtration system. So a lot of people when they're through hiking, um, they filter their water, you know, by using like Sawyer, uh, Sawyer squeeze mini filters or whatever they use. But we found like the vast majority of people um, would filter their water as they were getting their water. Um, and it would be like, a, like a, a task that they'd have to do throughout the day. They'd stop and filter their water when they got water. Um, whereas we set up this awesome system um, for us, it worked, worked really well where um, we cut uh, the tube in our camelback um, and then fit the Sawyer mini squeeze in between uh, the long end of the tube and the, and the sack itself. So as we were like drinking out of our tube, the water would filter through um, would filter uh, directly through. And by the time it got to us, it would be filtered. And we would like never had to do uh, during the day, like any actual task of filtering and like in the winter, especially, um, or, you know, other times when we just like wanted to go fast for whatever reason, um, it could have like, you know, it's really annoying to stop when you, when you need to get water to, to filter it, but also like, you know, pragmatically speaking, you know, it could have cost us like fingers or, you know, we could have gotten hypothermia or frostbite from, you know, the task of doing it. So just like having an inline filtration system, I think was, um, was a, just a huge like game changer for us. And I'm, I, I'm really glad that we did that. Brilliant. That's a great one. You know, um, I, I think it, I, that was actually something that I was thinking about in the episode, because I don't know why simple do not inline, but um, one of the other things that I'll say is like, I think Sammy and I, or at least I did, uh, I, I, I brought a, a bigger charger than I actually needed to. And um, honestly, it kind of saved my life a few times, uh, just because like, you know, I, I think there were, there were situations when we found ourselves having to be out there longer than we needed to. And like nowadays, like you're, or at least for us, our phone was our only map source. And so having a charge for it was super important. Um, and also for our garments, because we were tracking our whole, our whole trek. And then, you know, for our headlamps and everything like that, it just, you know, it, it just ended up being such like a vital, a vital source. And I remember there are, you know, like, if you're hiking for a full year, you usually break one of everything. And, um, that was like the one thing that I remember, like I broke, I I don't know. I don't know if it was the charger itself or like the cable to my phone. And that was kind of like, like, uh, Oh damn, like, (laughs) like what am I here? Um, and so, you know, like 
I think that having like a really solid charger and even extra cords uh, can really go a long way if you're not like an old fashioned uh, hiker that only does topographic. Yeah. By the way, we're not definitely not endorsing that people uh, just use phone maps. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's what we did. It worked for us, but uh, I don't know if I'd recommend yeah, that for everybody. Exactly. Point well taken. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Buzz and Woody. I want to thank them for joining us this week. Guys, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, so for the social media side of things, uh, they can follow us at CY Triple Crown, uh, which is just an abbreviation, Palantir Triple Crown. So CY Triple Crown. Um, and then we'll have a few articles coming out uh, within the next couple of weeks, if they want to read up on those. And then Sammy. Yeah. The podcast. Um, yeah. Um, I think you do like an adventure media recommendation. Um, yeah, that's coming up next. And- yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, yeah. That, those are our socials, but I'll, I'll, I'll save that for, uh, for this, for the right segment. Okay, so remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. If you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamere at gmail.com. As Buzz has referenced, I'm also looking for you guys to share a recommendation for a book, movie, documentary, some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to uh, to the trail. I'm calling this our adventure media recommendations. So I know we've already gone through a lot from from Buzz, a lot of references, a lot of literary references. What else do you have for us, guys? Uh, so uh, to shamelessly plug uh, something that we're doing is um, uh, if people want to check out our story a bit more, um, we're putting out a podcast with Backpacker Magazine called Impossible Odds, um, just chronicling our, um, our adventure. The first episode is out right now. Um, and came out yesterday and um sequentially over the next eight weeks one will come out every wednesday impossible um, odds. About like two to 30 minutes. impossible odds um on apple podcast spotify stitcher wherever you get your podcasts um yeah so would really appreciate if folks check that out and if they have a chance to like drop us a review that would be huge nice how about you woody you have a, an adventure media recommendation for us I was just going to plug Impossible Odds. I listened to the, uh, okay. the first episode and loved it. It's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> the guys seem like jerks, but you know it's it's a uh, <laughs> it's a good for now. Yeah, um, yeah. I would really appreciate it if folks check that out. Thanks, thanks. Nice. That's a wrap from the John Freaking Muir Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, guys? Yeah, all of them. Um, I want to shout out my parents who were such a huge support through this entire thing um, to my brothers and sisters. One of my sisters actually came to the finish and that was, that was really special. Uh, and then for all the friends back at Stanford that were following along the way. Yeah, definitely huge shout out to the parents, especially, you know, like it takes a lot for, um, you know, when you when your kid kind of tells you they're doing something that's crazy to not only sign off on it, but like really support it. And um, you know, it's, that's not something that we take for granted. We really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Love it.
Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. You go out there and the fish are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.